Spike Lee's commitment to portraiture in the 1994 film Crooklyn is part of what I think really makes it a compelling uh, film. Instead of Spike Lee getting caught up in the, you know, how should girls and women understand each other in relation, how uh, do boys and girls function differently in families, uh, you know, how do, how do boys and men relate to the, the girls and women in their lives inside and outside the home. Instead of Spike Lee getting caught up in some sort of discourse about gender roles and, and identity formation, I think that Spike Lee sidesteps all of that in really important ways in Crooklyn by simply making it a portrait, by simply trying to capture something in a place in a particular moment in time. And that something is really the other side of what's operated on the edges or even at the center, but in a muted fashion in his previous films and their concern with masculine identity formation. One of the things that gets lost in that emphasis on masculine identity formation is exactly what all of this means for uh, girls and women. We get little bits and pieces of it. I think school days in particular helps us with that. And so far as we get a real glimpse into the college women, it's also true that Clark and Indigo in Bow Better Blues get some attention in terms of their own resistance, their own ambitions, and their own aims within and, and without uh, the relationship they have with Bleak, but also in the end Clark with Shadow. But Crooklyn is really the first film where Spike Lee turns his attention in a really deep and attentive way to uh, girlhood. Right, which is inseparable in Crooklyn, I think, from this idea of, of, of woman and women's work. That's why I emphasized that in the previous piece. To be sure, She's Gotta Have It is a story about a woman, uh, but I think that film is a little bit uh, less mature and thoughtful. And I don't mean mature and thoughtful as a criticism necessarily of the voice in She's Gotta Have It, you know, whatever one thinks of the film aside. But simply to say that what Spike Lee is doing in Crooklyn is really trying to understand the development of girl, black girlhood uh, from the perspective of a black girl inside one family, but with depth and insight that come, I think, really from seeing it in the perspective of, of adults, right? To see what happens and what is to come. I think the uh, autobiographical or biographical elements of Crooklyn are really important here. The fact that Joy Lee uh, co-wrote it uh, along with um, Spike Lee and his, and his brother is really important because I do think it gives us a particular kind of insight to Brooklyn and its family uh, in, the, in the 1970s and this particular family. Now, one of the things I think that it really underscores as a film and I mentioned uh, in the previous uh, podcast piece, is the precarious, if not impossible, nature of black childhood. That is, for all of Troy's, uh, uh, Troy's playfulness, and certainly the playfulness of her brothers, there's, in the case of Troy, really a lack of sustained childhood it's infused her own childhood is infused with all kinds of adult responsibilities and all sorts of senses of 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 threat 
in the streets right out street right outside of her home whether it's the glue sniffers who are treated in some ways comically but also i think from troy's perspective at times with immense fear um and certainly isaiah washington's character when he's arrested and is clearly struggling with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from his time in Vietnam, Troy's attentiveness to that, her time in the bodega around whether it's shoplifting or sexuality. She is constantly sort of in that in-between space where she is certainly a girl, but is like, you know, any child her age, right? Po poised uh, really between ages. Right, between pure childhood and something getting closer to adolescence, teenagehood, and adulthood. And in that way, it's it's a story of childhood as such. I think there's a lot in Crooklyn that is, in that way, just about this odd kind of time in, in, a, in a child's life of being in between a little kid and something older and something uh, more insightful and knowing. I think it's important, though, that, you know, what, Lee builds in around the edges of that is an appreciation for the ambiguities and ambiguous borders between adulthood and childhood, but also the way that the that the family structure in which Troy lives, in which I think he wants to draw a lesson that's broader than just Troy's life, also makes black girls and black girlhood uh, a very unstable category at best, a category that's always, you know, just moments away, steps away from being, uh, doing women's work. And the way women's work plays out in this film is so interesting visually and orally because you hear it with uh, the close of the film, uh, Troy's mother talking to her, you know, in her imagination or, you know, from sort of afterlife or however one wants to schematize that particular scene but she talks troy through everything that's happening we imagine troy hearing this and thinking this but also the way that troy has been not just guided in this moment by her mother but also prepared for this moment by her mother right not for the moment of her mother's illness and death but the the preparation for the moment in which Troy has to take full responsibility for the household. Now, one of the things that that comes from that is, of course, a question of childhood, right? And what black childhood means and how salient it is as a category. I think a lot when I watch um, when I watch Crooklyn, I think a lot about James Baldwin's uh, musings on children and childhood where he is, uh, I think, very much like Spike Lee, sort of caught between this love of the exuberant chaos of children and their capacity for self-invention at every turn, but also understands that the blackness of black childhood means all of that is compromised from the very beginning. He says in his letter to his nephew, of course, that you, know, you are born into a place whose whole purpose is to kill you so that you shall perish, right? That's the way he puts it. Um, very bleak moment, but it says something about the meaning of childhood in that context. Evidence of things not seen. 
uh, it's another one of these these meditations on childhood and where black childhood is both a site site of disposability but also uh, something closer to a fiction in terms of what is expected and said about and done around the lives of black children but there's also some interesting things that come with this notion of childhood in the film when uh, Troy uh, ventures from Brooklyn uh, to the south to spend some time with her uh, relatives, right? Her aunt and uncle and cousin. There's something really uh, visually interesting about that where, you know, and I, when I teach it, does a number of students always come in and say, was there something wrong with the streaming of this? Because all of a sudden the screen got distorted. But of course, that's the point. Right, the point is that um, Troy and her family come from a world that is unrecognizable or that cannot fully recognize the world of her cousin. Her cousin comes from a sort of, you know, like a suburban neighborhood, uh, you know, a new brand new home with a yard, sidewalk, kids riding bikes, tons of dolls and uh, sort of constant attention to things like pretty dresses and doing your hair. Things that we know from the film, from the beginning of the film, don't appeal to Troy, in part because that's not Troy's personality. Troy's, you know, they call her Troy Boy because she is, you know, she likes boys stuff. She likes to run in the street, play stickball, but also does the proto and then full women's work uh, that's portrayed uh, as a structure of the home. But when she's in the South with her cousin, um, the screen is distorted. And that's where we really inhabit uh, not only Troy's world, but her family's world. And I say that because as part of it, it has a really, you know, it's sort of where a lot of the humor in the film comes from. Um, and I think we could have a, like a, a debate about, you know, the price of that humor, which so much of it depends on on sort of making fun of Southernisms or, or you know, something along those lines. And that's that part where Spike Lee is just a, a New York City filmmaker. And uh, outside the, the city, uh, it's always a, a, a strange world that he, you know, a strange world to him. And certainly he gets inside the sense of a child's distorted feel, right, in changing geographies. But aside from all of that, and I think that that's probably among the least interesting pieces in the film, um, but what I find really interesting about that move is, again, to this question of what is Spike Lee doing with his cinema? He's you know, putting black bodies and black people on screen, but he's also putting black life on screen. And I like that, you know, for all of Lee's attention to New York City and, you know, the HBCU campus, but mostly, uh, you know, New York City in his early films, he doesn't simply reduce all of black life to New York City. I think he's a New York City filmmaker, and that's why the South is distorted and mysterious and sort of out of focus and everything's different, right? when seen through Troy's eyes, which I think are Spike Lee's eyes. But more than that, I think what Spike Lee is trying to do in Crooklyn is with humor, but also inhabiting that, that sort of distorted feeling of a child uh, outside their element, 
he's trying to underscore the diversity of black life. He really emphasizes so much of that in his New York City films. If you think about the lives of, of Bleak and Shadow and uh, Clark in, um, in Harlem and, uh, you know, that the sort of, you know, middle class, upper middle class sort of feeling of the music scene. Contrast that with a working class, working poor a neighborhood of, of do the right thing. Um, you know, it really stands in contrast to Mo Better Blues. Um, but also, you know, the class structure inside of school days. And we get that again in Crooklyn when they journey south. And I like that. I, I also like that Spike Lee owns it as this is very foreign to me and I don't really know how to get my footing here. But that this again, in the mode of portraiture, this is an experience of African-Americans whose families have scattered, in this case, across the Eastern seaboard, right? To live in very different places with very different values and very different habits. It underscores that for all of the familiarity viewers of Spike Lee's films, might have with the world portrayed in Crooklyn, in the in the borough of Brooklyn, um, that that family is a distinctive kind of family. They're bohemian, right? Uh, the difference between, you know, how uh, Troy's mother wears her hair, and how you know Troy wears her hair, and the way the mother and daughter wear their hair uh, in in the South. And that's one of these ways of signifying at the visual level, but also at the deep, affective, and and really value-laden level, the kinds of things that her family, Troy's family, has that is distinctive, right? Even if it is familiar to Spike Lee, and I think he wants it to be familiar for a lot of viewers. And so, you know, for me, what what's you know what's not adventurous about Crooklyn that is adventurous about some of his previous films is is the different uh, the different kinds of black bodies he puts on screen I think that Crooklyn is just visually not adventurous and doesn't really have that as a task but his portrait of black people and black life is where he's trying to expand some of that sense of diversity and some of that sense of, of the textured differences that come with not only the way people look, but the way they speak, the way they move, and the kinds of things that they find comfortable and uncomfortable. You know, really, so much of it's humor, but really the way Troy feels such discomfort with the femininity of her cousin's home is uh, not just about Troy as a not particularly, you know, what would you call it, like a girly girl or something like that. It's not really just about that. I think it's much more about, um, about the bohemian character of a particular corner of New York City and the different kinds of black people that that world produces, right? That's not a class difference. That's really a cultural difference inside the same racial identity. And I think always for me, there's a question, not an easy one in this particular film, is what is the moral of the film? Like, what is Spike Lee trying to get us to take away from the film? Or how does he want us to walk away from the film thinking and feeling? This, is, I think, is actually quite complicated in, in Crooklyn because it's in the mode of portraiture. But as always with Spike Lee, I think it comes down to music. And, you know, what does... 
what does he capture in in terms of the the ethics and and morality of the film the ethical and moral core of the film how we ought to walk away from it how is that embedded in the music and i think the song uchal is absolutely that right it's the the ethical and moral core of the film not as something that judges good or bad right this is a, a not a film even in the interrogative mode that way it's not really asking questions it is rather just simply making a portrait but this song right about um you know whatever hard moments you have now like good things are to come and that song bursts into the film at this really important point and for me it's one of the most powerful scenes in any spike lee film when uh troy wakes up having a nightmare and uh wanders sleepwalking into the kitchen where her father is trying to kill you know a roach or or chase away a mouse or something and she thinks her parents are fighting she comes in to beg them to stop fighting and he wakes her up to comfort her right and then he takes her into the bathroom and she sits on him and he sits on the the toilet um to sit and hold her and comfort her and this is where i mean spike lee is a brilliant filmmaker but arthur jaffa did the, the cinematography for the film the art direction and this is one of those shots that is so incredible it's just it's in a tight small space and this i, I think this is part of the the moral and ethical core of the film is visually in this scene and in so many scenes in the film but this one in particular where it's an enormous expansive uh, an expanding emotional and affective register, right? The conversation, the tears, the physicality between the father and daughter in the film, but it's in a tight space, right? So it's it's expansive while being constricted, and that I think is where Spike Lee is visually, and then in the song that concludes the film, right, where he is trying to make this portrait tell a story about black girls and also maybe black people more broadly but we'll just say about black girls is that this you know world puts such constrictions on you as black girls and and squeezes you into these small spaces where there isn't the mobility that you deserve or maybe ought to have but within that lack of mobility within that constriction is an expansive beauty right an expansive uh, sense of meaning and purpose and connection to the world in connection to memory in connection to place and community that just like inside that bathroom right where the the father and daughter uh, are are together and he comforts her as she's really i think coming to terms in the rawest way with her mother's passing and he too with his wife's passing in that small space is such as this abundance of feeling and expansive sense of meaning that that is exactly Troy's life that for all of its constrictions it's also you know exploding with beauty and so when the song says you know things are going to get easier 
and you know walk in the rays of a beautiful sun and all of these sorts of like just hang in there everything's beautiful i promise you everything's going to be better i promise you that part of what comes out of the song right follows from another song ain't no sunshine right which is the father and daughter trying to come to terms with the loss of of mother and wife um but it it visually is expansive uh, or sorry constricted yet expansive at the same time when the song changes i think the song is singing to that visual field that jaffa and lee created of understanding that for that amidst not for all of because it's not a redemption story it's a simultaneity story that with all of those constrictions with all, without all of that oppression and difficulty and sadness there is also at the same time an enormous beauty that comes with the kind of work that Troy takes over for her mother just as there was for the kind of work her mother did and that's again not a redemption story i can't emphasize this enough it's not to justify it i don't think spike lee is interested in that at all that's why it's not a prescriptive or normative film it is rather a portrait that has an ethical and political motivation and moral motivation to say you know i'm not going to paint this as simply abject i'm not going to paint this simply as girl suffering i am instead going to understand how inside that suffering inside those constrictions inside that contraction of childhood and the forcing of, of of black children into a form of adulthood massively prematurely in the case of troy a black girlhood into womanhood you know in a flash that for all of those constrictions and and, and the, the difficulty that comes with that what is there there is what the film has and what the film presents us right a beautiful place a beautiful sense of human connection and life not as something that redeems this contraction of childhood and this constriction of Troy's possibilities but instead to think them both at once as not only the story of black girlhood right and women's work but also perhaps more broadly the story of black people generally that in the midst of enormous constriction and contraction of all of life's possibilities there is also this explosive sense of meaning and beauty love connection community and knowledge and what it means to think both of those things at once i think is a really difficult part of watching crooklyn and responding to it because it's not a film that leads us to one particular take or one particular mode of evaluation it is instead a story about how complicated these things are in a world that is anti-black in a world that puts such limits on girls and women but that does not make girls and women and black people abject right objects of pity or even objects of contempt but instead as beings in the world who for all of that constriction contraction and limit have explosive possibilities have explosive senses of beauty and meaning and what it means to put those both on the screen is to say something about the complexity of black life its depth its variety and the way it doesn't resolve itself into a single moral narrative but instead entwines 
of senses of loss with senses of beauty. And that's a broad story about African-American life historically and something that in the case of Troy is lived in a, an apartment, is lived on a stoop, is lived on a street, is lived in a bodega, is lived as she fixes her brother's hair and sends him off to play. As she preps dinner, as she looks out the window, as she leans over the gate and watches the community exist in front of her. All of those senses of, of her relation to the world are connected to the very things that constrict her and contract her possibilities. But she is never simply that. And what it means to be both things at the same time is what it means to be Troy what it means to be Troy in Brooklyn in the 1970s, and perhaps just simply what it means to be black and American in an anti-black world.